What a bloody relief we got that one. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yahoo! Welcome to episode 26 of the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi pro cyclist will coordinate their shoes and helmet to perfection. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who was bloody relieved. I'm going to get straight into a review this week, written by Killjoy, a.k.a. Brian. Rich, solid, entertaining, one of the best. There are a number of cycling podcasts out there with a similar format. The Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast is in a class of its own. The content is just what most of us cyclists are looking for, real info that's easy to understand, interviews that lead to actions we can apply to our cycling efforts, product reviews, and a little bit of news thrown in to keep you current. The host, Damien, has solid insights and experience in cycling. He's able to pack in a lot of info into a reasonable format and time. Moreover, his energy and passion for all things cycling comes out in every show. I listen to all of the cycling podcasts out there, and this by far is one that I'm most excited for. This is a must-listen. Damien, kudos, brother. Keep up the great work. Wow, that is a killer review. Thank you very much, Killjoy. That really means a lot to me that you took the time out to do that. I know you're a huge fan of the show. Thank you for your support. And if anyone else wants to write a review, head on over to iTunes, hunt out the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast and drop it in there and I'll read it on the show. So news for 2013, I want to start the show with sad news and the passing of Barry Stander, a 25-year-old South African mountain biker. He was the under-23 world champion in my hometown in 2009. He was fifth at the Olympics this year. It was the only race that I watched. And just watching his aggression and really having a crack and trying to break through in that race, he really stood out from that race. And it is a real shame that the cycling world has lost someone, and especially that South Africa has lost someone that was really a breakthrough rider and was making a lot of headway. And last season had his first senior World Cup win, as well as the fifth in the Olympics. And I just want to send my condolences to the family and just let you know that you're in my thoughts and I'm sure you're in a lot of other cyclists' thoughts as well. Okay, let's get to 2013. It's going to be a big year. It has started with a bang with the summer of cycling in Australia. My prediction about Caleb Ewan was correct. I'm stoked about that. Now it really is time for Brad McGee to take over and start slowly unraveling this guy's talent. I'd hate to see him burn out. Greg Henderson had a good point in an interview that the races themselves are only an hour long, so he doesn't have the aerobic capacity and it's going to take time to build up to that point. Definitely an exciting rider to watch and I hope some of you saw his winning salutes. And next bit of news, the Sky Kit released. I was talking about that's something that I was looking forward to. And i got to say, it's a little simpler than I thought it was going to be. It's nice, though. I like the subtlety of it. If you talk about pro cycling horrors, you can talk about HTC. You could probably talk about Garn and Mapai when they were first released. Now, I know they've got a cult following these days. I just don't see that happening with HTC and their faux abs on the front of their jersey but sky is running along a simple theme really not much different to the adidas 
design that was on there. So I wouldn't say that they're breaking a lot of ground here, especially when you start looking at women's jerseys and the, and the Lululemon specialized jersey is awesome. I'm a super big fan of that. But I'm going to let it sink in and I'm going to go through all of the kits. I've got a link to a video that breaks down all of the changes for 2013 and all the pro team kits. I'll let you know next week what my absolute favorite kit is. But speaking of Sky, they, they're all over my news this week. There's a possibility of Sky buying space on Rabo or and or Radio Shack jerseys. This is a huge surprise to me. I got a couple of quotes. The first one is from Nigel Winfall, which he's a senior marketing manager at Sky. And he says that we're just taking advantage of the meltdown to snap up some cut rate space on racing kits. We're essentially tripling our visibility at a very minimal cost. Well, Nigel, you're being a little cheeky here. There is the question of whether UCI can allow this. And the UCI's comment from their spokesperson, Enrico Fibiani, was, we're pretty busy with all the lawsuits from Kimmage and Katusha right now, but we do have a junior paralegal going through the laws. We might just have to let it slide. Damn, UCI, you keep impressing me in the wrong direction. But as far as Sky jumping on this, I would say that in some ways they're opportunists, but in other ways they're more than opportunists. And for me, it really feels like they're crossing the line between just dominating cycling and being a little too greedy. Which is funny because in stark contrast to the reaction that we had from Sir Brad Mark Wiggins. It's still not something that sits incredibly easy with me. Um, I don't think it's something I'm going to use in daily life, but an amazing thing to have in the drawer. So my prediction was right, and if you hear him there, he's taking it pretty well. He's being really humble about the whole thing, as you would have to be. I'm sure you would have to be. It's a little tongue-in-cheek, even though it is a very high honour, and Brad's totally right when it comes down to recognition of the result over than the actual thing itself. So he's going to keep his name just in the drawer. All right, let's move on now. I've got a question that was sent in from Paul from Detroit. What I'm really missing is the specifics of the workouts, what types of intervals to do during the week, what zones to shoot for on longer weekend rides, etc. Basically, I believe that I'm learning a lot about the macro view of training from a lot of materials available, but examples of the micro view to use to build a detailed week training plan are missing. Maybe this is something that I need to get from a coach, but I was hoping to have lots of examples of workouts from somewhere and tailor my weekly training plan to fit my needs. Now, I know that Paul is in his second or third season, and so he's wanting to structure it, and he's looking into how to tighten up, you know, once you have that macro review, how to tighten up the actual workouts you're doing. The biggest difficulty here is that you want to have continuity in the intervals that you're actually doing. I'm in a similar situation because I'm looking at putting together power-based workouts compared to heart rate zone workouts that I'm used to and that are suggested in the cyclist training bible. The biggest issue here is not just jamming in any old workouts that you can find online, but the program itself has to be holistic and each part of the workout has a purpose in moving you forward. So I've got a couple of options here for you, Paul. Firstly, you could do something very simple. I know that you have read the cyclist training bible. You could swap out the actual zones, the heart rate zones that Joe Frill uses for Allen and Coggins power zones and just do the workouts that Frill recommends. Because this part of bigger system, it actually fits in somewhere with a bit of pre-thought behind actually choosing the workouts themselves and you're able to test to see if there's any chance that they're not working. Number two is 
get a coach. Like you did mention, there are options when it comes to getting a coach though, because you don't have to employ a full-time coach. Perhaps sitting down and looking at what you have and working at how you can fill in the blanks of them would give you a better understanding of how to build the continuity into your separate interval sessions and sort of fill in your knowledge gaps as well based on your specific situation. See, the tricky part is once you have an idea of what workouts that you want to do, setting the correct training level like the watts and the heart rate is another element that can really throw you off. And this is where a coach could come in handy because it's not always straightforward because I know with myself that, say, my lactate threshold that I produce in testing is always higher than I can successfully train at. And this is where a second set of eyes can be helpful. It wasn't until my coach was reviewing my data files one day that we adjusted it. And if she didn't pick it up, I could have wasted a lot of time. So this is really what I want you to avoid, Paul, is just wasting a lot of time on whether it's workouts that don't work or they're just wrong or you're at the wrong level when you're training with them. So maybe trying to work out a deal with a coach where you can sit down and you can choose out and then at the end of a block, all you have to do is just have another phone call or whatever, and then the coach can analyze the data and see if things are are working or not before you get into two, three, four months, and then your season's over, and you don't know whether you could have actually done better or not. The nuts and bolts this week. Why are Nick's so expensive? It's the age-old question that all cyclists ask themselves every time they come to buy a pair of Nicks. Why are they so expensive? The three points of contact that you have with your bicycle, not including the nut that connects the handlebars to the seat, are the pedals, the handlebars, and the saddle. And today I'm talking about Nicks. Shorts, bib and brace, bib shorts, whatever you want to call them, the difference between a crap pair and a killer pair can be the difference between a fun and fast ride and a painful and slow one. For me, I can clearly remember probably every single pair of Nicks that I've ever owned in my lifetime because my evolution follows a very traditional path, you know, starting with eight panel Nicks that I strangely had a weird reaction to the rubber grippers on them. So my mother insisted on sewing some material over it. It was a bit bulky and it looked a bit unco, but I was wearing a t-shirt on top anyway, so I wasn't going to win any style awards there either. My next couple of pairs were four and six panel Nicks, but it wasn't until I was throwing some swag that I experienced my first pair of bib and brace Nicks. And looking back, they were probably quite rudimentary compared to today's standards. Only one layer deep, but like everyone that puts on their first pair, there is absolutely no turning back. And if we fast forward now to the past five years or so, I've been able to get hold of some more advanced versions, some team wear, some racer wear, plenty of internet mistakes, but I have never owned a high quality pair because I'll discuss this later, but as far as anything that you're getting printed yourself or someone else gets printed with a design of their own, it seems that they're slightly lacking when it comes to the upper echelon of kit. So I have decided to hunt around and try and find the difference and assess whether the high cost items actually worth the extra coin. The evolution of the humble chamois has come so far in the past 12 years, and it's hard to call them a chamois at all. A pad is much more accurate, and that's the name that's actually being used by big manufacturers. But the term chamois is a relic of the past, where before spandex was invented, a leather chamois was used as the only option for riding in comfort. And another relic of that era was chamois cream, which was made to take care of the clothing, has now moved into body care, or in the case of Dave Zabriskie's brand, Nut Care. But marketing does play an interesting role in the hype that surrounds a high-quality and high-cost product like the chamois. 
And when I think of the two top brands in the expensive bracket, I think of ASOS and Rafa. Funny that they share the same chamois manufacturer, though, albeit with their own custom take on the positioning of the formed foam. The company that makes them is called Cytec. Cytec's claim to fame is the elastic interface. Sorry, I have to laugh every time I hear that, but it developed with ASOS around 2001. The elastic interface short insert perfectly follows the body in motion, expanding and contracting with every pedal stroke to eliminate the friction that causes irritation and skin rashes. They wrote that, not me, but you get the idea. But here's the funny part. ASOS was Cytec's partner in creating the elastic technology interface. Now, the Elastic Technology trademark and logo belong to ASOS and are licensed to Cytec. So in a roundabout way, Rafa pads are actually ASOS pads. Make whatever you want of that. It's an interesting little tidbit. But, and this is a big but, and I cannot lie, there are 59 different designs that Cytec produce. So the name itself is not a guarantee that you're getting the goods when you buy a pair of Nicks. And the big focus of Cytec and... I would say ASOS as well, is comfort, which then they claim equals performance. I like to talk about saddle position and pressure points. It's a common knowledge that the sitting position causes significant pressure on the gluteal, ischial and perineal area. But what is less well known is that there are other factors that can alter the pressure points. This factor includes the position of the saddle, the type of bicycle, road, mountain bike and city bike, and gender. Data obtained in our laboratories confirm how even small alteration to the saddle position translates into improved symmetry in the downstroke, improved cycling output and reduced oxygen consumption at constant weightage. Dr. Paoli here works for Cytec to make their scientific claims about the pads they develop. And in some ways, he's got a point. If you're not sitting right and comfortable, in some ways it may be total bullshit, but in other ways he may have a point. Because if you're not sitting right and comfortable, you're not going to get the best out of your body. You're wasting energy, it's not aligned and you have an inefficient system, and you may be even causing some damage. I don't know if you saw the ASOS campaigns a few years ago, those bright flashing ads on cyclingnews.com about protecting your gear. They were absolutely classic, but they were quite confronting, and I don't know whether they actually made a difference. Do you choose your nicks based on your package? I essentially don't, but coming back to ASOS, their main selling point is comfort at any cost. So talking of the big guns, what makes them so much more expensive? Other than just being top tier luxury goods and aspirational in most cases, if you're talking over 300 bucks for a pair of Nicks, their development process is more involved than you actually might think. Today we're here to examine the pressure mapping system with Dr. Minko to see how the different chamois uh, affect uh, the body uh, in contact with the saddle. I'm John Noll, I'm the director for apparel here at Specialized. Today we're doing pressure mapping on our chamois using um, different test subjects and we're working with our overseas partner who manufactures the, sh- manufactures the chamois for us. What we do is we have different subjects uh, riding in each of our shorts and then in competitor shorts and we use a mapping system on a non-padded saddle to see how the different chamois provide different levels of protection. By listening to this, you can really start to get a sense of the detail that goes into Nick's, or at least the cost that goes into making the videos and the marketing. But all of this does add to the bottom line. It's one thing just to say that the development process includes lining up the pad with the pressure points of your body, but also when you're coming to the differentiators when you're looking at, at 
the different brands, you're starting to then see where they position themselves in regards to things like race nicks. So, for example, Rafa, their race nicks are apparently positioned so you get the best padding when you're down on the hoods or the drops. It's essentially just like a MotoGP suit. When you see um, the moto riders walking around, they look awkward and crunched over. It's not until they're on the bike that that's when it absolutely fits in. So that's their point of difference in regards to that. ASOS is going for comfort and protection and alignment. Something like Specialized, what we just listened to, it seems like they're going for the angle of matching their saddles. So they own, they produce saddles. So matching their saddles to the Knicks directly, and then that's their selling point. So you just take that in mind when you're actually considering buying any pair of these Nicks. Another development in the past couple of years is the ability to fuse the pad layers together and then sew the pad directly into the Nicks. So the chamois is, is formed into a single unit by the use of a bonding agent and or the application of heat and pressure that operates to fuse the various pieces of the chamois together into a single unit. This application of heat and pressure then creates a three-dimensional shape. This again means that the effort put into the pressure point alignment is not wasted as the pad doesn't slip when you get off the saddle. Say in something like mountain biking when you're on and off all the time, I remember having, once the elasticity started to go on them, there was no telling where the pad would end up once I'm getting up and down a lot. That's hopefully where the technology is starting to really hone in on putting the nicks and positioning them exactly where they need to be and over time when they start getting a little worn out or whatever they don't move around as much as the old style did when you're starting to look at what chamois so what to look for when you actually go out and start investigating any pairs of nicks for yourself i've touched on the major points of difference but as far as a recommendation goes, Dr. Paoli recommends the following properties in a cycling short. You know, his view is a little bit skewed because he does work for SciTech, but he brings up some good points. And if you're checking any competitors, it would be interesting to know whether they actually do this as well. And so what to look for, the pad itself should be elastic. So this is what the invention that they came up with. It means that it has four-way movement and contours with your body and the saddle contact zone to, to make sure that it aligns properly. There should be different densities of foam in the actual pad itself. So, you know, when you're sitting on your sit bones, you want to have a higher density foam that's going to mean that it's more comfortable compared to the front where you just want a less density foam just to keep your package in and not have any embarrassing camel toe photos. Number three, so cycling short insert pads have different shapes for men and women cyclists. So make sure that you're buying the correct one. It's only the last couple of years that women's clothing has started to be taken seriously by manufacturers, which is a really good thing because the only other invention up until that point probably was the center strap on the ASOS bib. This just makes sure that the protection is suited to the person that's wearing it. Also, a specific design that allows a proper fit between the saddle and the body of the athlete. That's just going to come down to personal preference and trying them on, which I will get to in a moment. Also, also here's a rundown of some of the terms that companies invent. Well, I'm not really going to go into too much of it. We know, like I was talking about in the compression sock realm, that they're essentially the same, so everyone's just coming up with all this mumbo jumbo to, to explain why theirs is better. But if you start looking at labels and, and you just get a bit confused, things like anatomic or 3D, that's basically the pad has just been shaped to the rider's anatomy rather than sewn flat. Antimicrobial, just that the pad is able to fend off germs. Four-way stretch, discussed that just before. Moisture wicking, 
If you own any technical cycling clothes, you know what moisture wicking is. So the pad can do that as well. Multi-density, we've discussed that. Multi-thickness, so it's about the same thing. The other things to consider are the overall fit. Cycling Tips does a good job in reviewing the top nicks by Assos, Capo, Castelli, and Rafa. I'll let you check it out. You can just search for it through Google, or I, I do have the link in the show notes. He does a rundown of those nicks by actually wearing them and test riding them. And it's all based on his fit. So his recommendation is based on what fits him the best as well as the pads. So this is where it comes down to what is the other differentiator outside of the chamois itself. Now, there is a bunch of different ways that companies try and manufacture to differentiate themselves. And there is examples like Castelli's body paint nicks. It's so comfortable. Like you might feel like you don't have any pants on. <laughs> yeah, so it's <laughs> the feeling right like it. <laughs> Mr. Henrik Hassler doesn't mind them, but getting a little more serious, there are, really are a bunch of technical terms invented by companies. Again, you could go on and on and on about them. I wouldn't bother sifting through any of that junk when you're on the hunt. I just recommend simply going to your nearest bike shop and trying on as many pairs as it takes to find the right one that fits. If you want to narrow it down slightly before you get there, I would talk to someone that is the same size as you, see what they ride and what they have ridden, and if they have any recommendations for you. The cut is the thing that's going to make the difference rather than the materials on the outside. Essentially, they're all the same. They're all going to be tight. They're going to be winter wear. They're going to be summer wear. But it's just going to come down to how they feel. Unfortunately, you won't be able to get a ride on on a bike with them. Maybe they'll let you sit on a bike and turn your legs over. You're going to be wearing your jocks as well, so it's going to be a little more uncomfortable. So the only real way is to buy it and try it out for yourself. But saying all of that, my next purchase may be Rafa online, mostly because they're only one of a handful of companies that will actually ship to me. But don't hate on me too hard when you see me rocking my Rafa kit. I know they get a bit of bad press from anyone that's been in cycling for a while, but I'm totally open to anyone that's coming in. I'll give them a shot and I'll report back to you. Now, wrapping it all up, why are Nick's so expensive? My take is massive marketing budgets, strategic positioning, and development time may explain the cost more than the comfort fit and performance. I'm not sure if they are related directly to price and that's why I want to know whether you have a cheap pair of Nicks that rock your world. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you actually wear and whether they are any of the top guns or they're just mid-priced brands. The interesting thing when it comes to what people are actually wearing at the moment is that so many more people are in teams or clubs And they're wearing the gear that goes along with that. And this is what I was talking about before. The development, or at least the marketing, isn't pushing this comfort idea as much as the big boys themselves. So is there going to be a point where these companies step up and say, we have a very high quality product and you can design it at a reasonable cost? I don't know whether the high quality product and the custom team wear go hand in hand yet. I'm sure... People like Rafa are going to say it's different because it's massive commercial interest that they've connected up with Sky for. You know, I'm sure specialized because they had their own clothing. Assos doesn't actually sponsor any pro cycling teams. So this is their point of difference. So 
What I'm saying is there's a lot of stuff around the outside and the only two factors that are really going to ultimately decide whether you buy a pair of Knicks is whether you can afford them and whether they fit you. And the rest is all passion marketing. So let's move on to the tech hacks and products section. And this week it's products. And I've got some cycling brands this week that are really trying to bust out and do something different. They don't fall into the technical realm. They talk, they fall into the styling realm. And style is definitely a personal taste thing, but a bunch of brands are horrible. So many of them have got designs that hark back to this early 90s ski gear, you know, this technical angle. And to me, it really doesn't appeal. I'm not one for just single colored jerseys, but I'll wear them over any technical type of design any day of the week. Now, there are loads of options if you want to go that technical design route. But as far as companies that have popped up in the last couple of years that are trying to change that, I've got three companies here. The first one is Miltag. Miltag. They're two graphic designers from England, putting it together, designing jerseys, and i got to say they're fresh. They are super fresh without being over the top. There's a little bit of heritage in there, not so much faux heritage like Rafa produces, but there is a little bit of heritage in there as far as respecting the designs that have come before them, but they're really pushing it forward and they're pretty hot. I'm keen on a couple of their designs, which is sort of 80s retro but it's hard to explain. You've got to go there and check them out for yourself. The second one, Endo Customs, coming out of LA. Now, these guys, they're going to be more street fashion-wise. They're coming into cycling clothing with the idea that they can produce more cutting edge that's really going to make you stand out, and that doesn't fall into just a cliche saying. i got to say, the only trouble that I can see with a brand like this is, are they going to continue to push styling that is dead in say a year or two when generally cycling clothes for the average punter like myself I hold on to them for three four five years maybe you know I really try and take care of them is my gear going to look outdated in one year because they want a quicker buying cycle that's the only trouble that I see if the cycling clothes world moves into more of that fashion edge rather than a classic style Saying that, Endo Customs hasn't released their brand clothing yet. I've only been able to get a sense of what they're capable of through their custom programs. But once they release their branding stuff, for me, I'll be able to tell whether I'll go out and purchase and I'll be able to wear it for a couple of years or it's purely just a super cool purchase only. The third brand is an Australian company called Babiki and they're doing custom gear as well, but their brand gear is very simple and plain, not as plain as Rafa, but in the same kind of realm. I would say that they're really appealing to the environment that they've grown up in. Their style is definitely understated, but not to the point where it's boring. Their colors are slightly different and they're more interesting than a lot of the black that's rocking these days. I have a feeling that there is a couple of items that sell really well and the rest kind of struggle a little bit. But I want to give them full credit. Definitely check them out if you're in the hunt for a complete kit. Finally, a dishonorable mention for the Australian brand called Rugged Bloke. Styling misses the mark so far that I'd only wear them to get a reaction from my buddies in the bunch. It's kind of like finding that perfect fluoro number on some obscure website in the middle of the night and not being in your right mind and ordering it and then it gets to you and you wear it once just to get a laugh and then that's the end of it. Sorry, RB, it is a massive fail. 
Now, let's get to that quote from the top of the show. What was the emotions like when you crossed the line at your first national title? It's Green Edge, you know, you've seen the kit now. How's all the emotions of it all? Um, oh, I was just uh, ecstatic to start with then. And then after a little bit, I'm like, oh, what a bloody relief we got that one. It was, it was really a huge relief because the pressure was on. Um, but uh, now I've seen the kid, I'm really, really thrilled to be, uh, to be, uh, to be wearing it and be a uh, crowned national, national champion for the next 12 months. And I think it's a real honour, so I'm really proud to be Australian champion too. And it is, of course, did you guess it, the big G-dog, Simon Gero Gerings, talking about his win at the 2012 Australian National Championships. They are on again this Sunday. My pick is Michael Matthews. He's with Green Edge Orica and... If he can get over the hills, he's got a sprint in him, and I think he's going to go all the way. Just depends on his form, I guess. That's the biggest question over everybody at this time of the year, but I'm sure he's motivated to do well for his new Australian team, and that's it. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. Hi, I'm Barry Thunder from South Africa. I'm 22 years old, and I'm a cross-country mountain biker been riding bikes now for 11 years and the town where I come from doesn't have any cyclists or serious cyclists and growing up it was kind of like me and my dad kind of oversaw my training Um, and we just basically always sat down and looked at what races I was going to do and what I was going to prepare myself for and prepared accordingly and I still feel that you know the best for me the best training works is just simulating what I'm going to do in the race I mean that's what I'm training for so you might as well simulate that in training. And uh, I mean, through the years, I've had a lot of guys to look up to. You know, Todd's been with me now for three, I think it's the fourth season already done. And uh, with Christoph being on the team now, it's easy for me to close those small gaps and uh, improve on myself every year. Um, And I can definitely feel as time goes on, I I am changing it quite a lot, but never dramatically at at one, you know, at one point in the year, but uh, I can definitely feel that all the little changes are starting to make a big difference now. At the start of 2006, um, I was down in Cape Town for the Total Force Challenge again, and I was actually racing against the team that Christoph was on that day, and after the event, uh, we went for a little ride and we got to talking, and Christoph uh, was still looking for a partner for the Epic for that year, and uh, yeah, it, uh, he asked me if I was riding the Epic, um, at that stage, I didn't want to ride the Epic, but uh, you know, after thinking about it a couple of weeks, I got back to him and you know, asked him whether he was still looking for someone, and he did. So he put me in touch with Bobby, and yeah, from there the relationship grew. Um, we raced the Epic together in 2007, and uh, yeah, after two stages we were leading, and unfortunately, uh, at the end of the third stage in the Thorn Yellow Jersey, I started developing an ITB problem. Um, which basically put me out of the race but uh, yeah after that uh, you know I stayed in touch with Bobby and the team and with Christoph and Claire and Bobby and we become really good friends and um, I kind of had like a breakthrough at the second World Cup that same year I got into the top 10 finishing 7th in the German round in Offenburg and I think that kind of put the wheel on the wheel in motion and um, by the time we were mid-season um, Bobby had uh, offered me a, a ride on Specialized and it was where I really wanted to ride and yeah before the Olympics the contract was signed up and yeah I mean from, from there it's just grown um, I've really loved the bikes I've, I've loved being on the team and I think putting everything together at the right place has, has really helped my career and it's, 
Yeah, it seems to be going from strength to strength.